Our second lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several years ago, a study out of the University of Chicago randomly assigned one group of commuters to talk to the stranger sitting next to them on the bus or the train while the other group was told to commute in silence. The results were remarkable. The people who talked to the stranger next to them reported feeling significantly happier than the people who stayed silent. During the implementation of this study, the lead author, a psychologist named Nick Epley, discovered something interesting about what prevents people from talking to strangers. People aren't actually all that afraid of talking to strangers. What they're afraid of is that the stranger won't want to talk to them. Engaging with somebody is a little like having a speed bump at the top of a hill, Epley says. You've got to get over that initial bump at the top, and after that, it goes pretty smoothly. But if you don't get over that first initial bump, you'll never get started. Epley argues that one reason it's become more and more difficult for us to start a conversation with a stranger is that many of us have become more comfortable interacting with our electronic devices than with human beings. And since we usually have our devices with us, it's just easier to pull out a smartphone than it is to talk to a stranger. Do you find this to be true? I know it's true for me. 
If I'm in a waiting room or standing in line, the truth is most days it's just easier to pull out the phone and read the news or catch up on email or text a friend than to talk to someone I don't know who's standing next to me. But after doing this study, Epley actually gave away his phone because the results of his research made it so abundantly clear that these devices that we often use to connect with people we know while we're surrounded by people we don't know can actually create barriers to the kind of human connection that makes us happier and builds real community. Of course, these days, it is more than just our devices creating barriers to human connection and happiness. The news these past few weeks has been disheartening, to say the least. Endless partisan bickering leading up to impeachment. Minority groups being oppressed by governments around the world. Rising temperatures leading to record heat waves and fires. Back in the 1930s, during another time of violence and uncertainty and division, Langston Hughes wrote a poem called Tired, which begins like this. I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind? For those of us who share Hughes' fatigue, it's worth remembering that waiting is what this season of Advent is all about. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of a miraculous pregnancy told by the author of Luke's Gospel, the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, an elderly married couple who'd never been able to have children. When the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the temple and tells him this news, they will finally have a son, Zechariah expresses some surprise and is immediately rendered mute, totally silent for the duration of his wife's pregnancy. Today, we hear from another character in Luke's gospel who receives news of an unexpected pregnancy, Mary, who is on the other end of the spectrum from Elizabeth. Rather than elderly and unable to have children, Mary is young and unmarried. One of these women seems to have learned all the wisdom life can teach, while the other has much to learn. Or at least that might be how we imagine Mary and Elizabeth when they meet, the wise, battle-worn teacher and her young, naive cousin. This view of Mary as young and naive and compliant is reinforced in countless works of art, from hymnody to poetry to paintings, where Mary is depicted as meek and mild, even weak and submissive. But is this really the Mary we hear from in today's reading? When the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she will conceive a child, she doesn't just acquiesce silently. She responds with the question of a curious scientist. How can this be, since I'm a virgin? When the angel explains to her how this will happen, Mary gives her consent. 
Let it be with me according to your word. Despite her age and lack of experience, Mary claims and declares her own agency in this situation. But she doesn't stop there. Soon after receiving this news, she goes on a journey to visit her cousin Elizabeth, a remarkable thing for a young, pregnant, unmarried woman in that time and place to go traveling alone. But like most pregnant women, Mary seeks out the company and advice of a trusted female companion. And when she arrives, she doesn't just whisper this secret to Elizabeth of how she has come to be in this situation. Before she can say anything, Elizabeth affirms the announcement of the angel by declaring that Mary is the mother of her Lord. Then Mary boldly proclaims God's power and justice with this song that begins, My soul magnifies the Lord. The song we have come to know as the Magnificat. How did we ever get the idea that Mary is passive and submissive? Surely not from the Bible. I can't help but wonder if we have painted Mary with soft colors and gentle strokes to avoid the way she challenges us to question the status quo, to claim our own voices, to tell our own stories to let our souls magnify the Lord. If Zechariah's story teaches us to cultivate silence by listening, Mary's story teaches us there are times we must break the silence by speaking our own truth or by helping others speak theirs. This past week, I had the privilege of traveling to Puerto Rico with Wilson Kennedy, who works with our youth and young adults, and who has been planning a learn and serve trip to the island for this summer. In San Juan, Wilson and I met with two Presbyterian pastors, an elder, and the former moderator of the Presbytery of San Juan. Our goal was simply to get to know these colleagues who are engaged in ministry in a very different part of our country, a place where pastors and churches and communities are not only facing the challenges that churches everywhere are facing, but doing so while they continue to navigate the impact of Hurricane Maria. In the aftermath of Maria, these pastors are not only dealing with significant changes in the demographics of their congregations, since many of their members have relocated to the continental United States, they are also wrestling with exhaustion and burnout after ministering to traumatized members and their communities. But what we found remarkable was the incredible optimism we heard as these Christian leaders shared with us their hopes for what God can do in their communities. Not only hopes for healing and continued recovery, but that what they have been through will lead to innovative and creative approaches to 21st century ministry. Like Mary, in the midst of complex and even dangerous circumstances, they are giving voice to the power of God at work among them. They shared with us a dream 
of churches with solar panels that can be powered by the Caribbean sun and liberated from Puerto Rico's deteriorating power grid, and another dream of reaching out to people who live in neighborhoods that aren't that much different from neighborhoods in Richmond, neighborhoods marked by dramatic murals painted on the sides of buildings and historic monuments, and that are filled with people who don't attend church, but who could be the grateful recipients of the hospitality and hope that local churches have to offer. Wilson and I left these meetings thankful that we were able to connect with and learn from our colleagues, humbled by their optimism and faith that has enabled them to persevere through these challenges, and joyful for these new connections that expand our understanding of God's work in the world. We also left determined to give voice to their stories and their situation and to find ways that we at First Presbyterian Richmond can work with them to be the church together in spite of the miles and the ocean that separates us. My time in San Juan got me thinking about a philosophical idea called standpoint theory, which says that it is the people at the bottom of social hierarchies, those who are often the victims of oppression and marginalization, who see a system more accurately than those at the top who benefit from the system's structures. We might typically think it's the reverse, that the people at the top of a society who have the benefits of education and time and the resources to read and study and learn, we think these are the people who have the clearest view and who are best positioned to help move that system forward. Standpoint theory suggests otherwise, saying that it is the people on the underside, the bottom of any social hierarchy, who can see things about a system that no one else can, and that these are the people we need to hear from in order to make our systems more just and equitable for everyone. For example, consider the perspective of the low-level worker in a large corporation who sees firsthand whether that company lives out its mission, vision, and values, or the custodian of a large building who cleans up after rich and poor alike, or someone like Greta Thunberg, a member of the generation who has the most to lose if climate change continues at the current pace. Whether you agree with her or not, her perspective as a young autistic woman gives her a particular vantage point on this issue which is not so different from the vantage point of Mary. Mary's Magnificat is the passionate, wise speech of someone at the bottom rung of her society's ladder. For she is not only a religious minority as a Jew, she is poor and young and a woman. And yet in her speech, Mary names not only the truth of her society, she declares that God is already at work, overturning its injustices, humbling the proud and the powerful, freeing God's people from oppression, lifting the poor out of poverty and into stability. After her encounter with the angel Gabriel and her unexpected pregnancy, Mary does not choose silence. She shares her story 
with a trusted relative who encourages her, literally gives her the courage to sing this song that has magnified God's name throughout the ages. This is the power that comes when we break the silence to share our stories with one another and when we stand in solidarity with those whose stories need to be heard. Like Langston Hughes, I am so tired of waiting. Aren't you? For the world to become good and beautiful and kind. God knows we are tired of waiting, waiting for the world to reveal God's promises. But while we wait, we can engage those around us, especially those who are often told to keep quiet so that we might hear what they have to teach us. The enduring gift of Christmas is the knowledge that we are never alone. God is with us. God provides for us companions on the journey, strangers and friends who can listen to us, fight for justice with us, so that our world might look more like the vision in Mary's song. Mary's power does not come from her strength or her courage or even her honesty. It comes from the God who is always eager to step into the space between the injustice we name and the future we long to see. But to harness this power, we must engage one another, share our stories, and listen to the stories of others. So this Christmas, may we set aside all that distracts us and follow Mary's example of breaking the silence, silence that too often perpetuates injustice and promotes the illusion that we are strangers to one another. May we find the courage to talk to strangers, the willingness to listen to what they have to say, the power to magnify those voices crying out for justice. May we break the silence to announce that God has come, even to us, to make all things new. Amen.